Welcome to the Human and Technology Podcast. This podcast is for anyone who develops, distributes or uses technology. For all those who always have the feeling that technology overwhelms or dominates them. For everyone who wants to know how to deal with technology in everyday life. For anyone who wants to understand what technology does to us and how we can get our lives back. This podcast is for those who want to make technology sexy. All the product developers, designers, UX, UI professionals, product managers, CTOs and CEOs. And it is for you. My name is Dr. Peter Reska. My friends call me Dr. Peter. I am your host and I am happy that you are here. Every now and then at maybe the end of a episode of the Human Technology Podcast or on LinkedIn, I ask my listeners, is there anything you would like me to talk about? Do you have a question? Do you have an issue? Is there something that um, I can talk about that would help you in a way? And over the past six, seven weeks, I received a few of these feedbacks and For today's episode, I decided to select three of these questions, remarks, issues my listeners have and combine them into one episode. So it's a bit of a mixed episode, something like a Q&A episode, where I will talk about basically three different things. Number one is, why are automotive HMIs different from those on smartphones, for example? Or, to put the question the other way around, why may it be a bad idea to put a smartphone HMI, a smartphone human machine interface, directly into a car without adapting it? The second one is, do we experience a loss of competence or a gain of competence with digital gadgets? So if, if we use all these little helpers, all these apps, these automotive digital applications, navigation systems, um, whatever you may think of, Does this make a does 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 this make us a more educated person or a less educated person? Do we learn something or do we lose competence in this one? And the third one is which one is better, icons or fonts in automotive HMIs? Which one is, is the better solution? And I can tell you up front, um, I'm, I'm gonna spoiler it a bit here. There is no definite there is no final answer on this one of course both of them have many pros and cons and yeah I, i will get a bit into this at the end of this podcast episode so let's kick off with why should automotive hmis be different why are they different than smartphone hmis there are two uh, three reasons three reasons for this the first reason is the primary task paradigm in, in, in a car, um, the uh, primary task is driving. Interacting with an HMI is a secondary task. That's the first point. The second uh, point is it's safety relevant. Whenever we are in a car, safety is a top priority. 
And number three, we have a specific role of the car for humans and in society. And those are the three main points and I will run through them step by step and explain you a little more in detail what I mean with this. Let's talk about the primary task, secondary task, tertiary task paradigm. So in cars, driving is the number one thing you should do. The focus is on driving. And even if we move on in automation on level two, which means that you can um, that the car is driving by itself and you need to control it, or on level three, where you can pull yourself out of the control loop and the car is doing certain things by itself uh, in certain contexts for a limited time, still driving is the main focus. So the, the human needs to be in control over the driving process. And even on level two, level three, the driving process, the keeping the car safely on the road, the longitudinal lateral control of the car is the main task. And that one eats up tons of mental, tons of cognitive resources. And whatever we do with the remaining resources or whatever we do, yeah, so whatever whatever else we do in the car besides driving needs additional resources or the remaining resources needs resources that are not used for driving. And I talk about these primary tasks, secondary tasks, tertiary tasks. Well, what is it? So primary task is the core driving task, keeping the car on the road, um, taking care that you do not run into things, that you don't run into other cars, that um, yeah, you drive safely, that you keep in sufficient distance to others, that's basically steering and braking and um, speeding. That, 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 those are the things that you do. The secondary tasks are those tasks that are related to driving, but do not, or they are not, the core driving tasks. For example, honking the horn, turning on the winds, uh, wind, windshield, uh, windshield wipers, wipers, turning on the wipers for the windshield, turning on the headlights, um, there are all these things that are closely related to driving but are not the core driving task. And tertiary task is all the rest from um, setting the temperature in the air condition to navigation device, uh, listening to music, tuning a radio station, making a phone call. All these are tertiary tasks. And as I said, the primary task is driving. And all the rest is run with the remaining cognitive resources that are left over while you perform the primary task. And most of the automotive HMIs we have, they are for secondary and tertiary tasks. So if you have a look at your dashboard, your car dashboard, all these buttons and switches, the touch screens that you have there, they're all for secondary and tertiary tasks. There are only basically two devices that are connected to HMI devices that are connected to the primary task, which is the steering wheel and the pedals that you have, the gas pedal and uh, the, the brake pedal. By the way, interesting questions. How do you call the gas pedal in an electric car? I mean, you don't have gas in the car. So the power pedal, speed pedal, I don't know. 
If you know it, send me a mail. Let me know. So what, what you think is a gas pedal in an electric car. Anyway, um, with this paradigm in mind that you have remaining resources for secondary and tertiary tasks, those ones that have complex HMIs on a dashboard, that should lead us uh, to the conclusion that HMIs in cars need to be different. I mean, in, in, uh, if you interact with a PC software, if you sit in a control room of a power station, if you use your smartphone, then the interaction with the system is the main task. So all your cognitive, all your mental resources can go into the interaction with an app, sending a WhatsApp from your smartphone. So sending a text message from your car is definitely not a primary task. But if you are sitting on a park bench or if you sit on a bus or if you are at home on your sofa, then sending a test message is a primary task. And this definitely leads to the point that HMIs in cars need to be designed differently. They need to be designed to be used, let's say, on the side in addition to the main task. And that's basically the main reason why these HMIs look different. They have, we have different development processes in automotive. Um, we, we, that leads to different results. So you have different things. And it's definitely not a good idea to transfer a complex, for example, text messages app, texting app, from a smartphone directly one-to-one -one in to a car. Second point is driving is safety relevant. And this is closely related to, to the first one, to the primary, secondary, tertiary task. The HMI in cars, HMIs in cars must be usable with as little driver distraction as possible. So we talk about driver distraction here. We have the situation that it is very dangerous if you have distracted driving and we all know this, and I mean, I cannot exclude myself. Every now and then we grab our smartphones and have a quick glimpse on it. Hey, new text message in. Who is it? Is it my wife? Is it totally irrelevant? Whatever. So we, we do this, but this is highly dangerous. We should not do this because this is distracting. And this, this is why I think many of these modern HMI solutions are critical in cars particularly these glass cockpits. I mean, they are missing in, in glass cockpits with these touch screens that you have. You're missing haptic feedback. And again, you have a distraction, which in this case is a visual distraction. If you want to manipulate something on a touch screen. One of the reasons, by the way, why I love my BMW car, there is still the old so-called iDrive device, which is a big rotary push device. And uh, you have a couple of dedicated hard keys around it and they all have a beautiful haptic design. And I can use them lightly. I know the upper right one is for map, the upper middle one is for the main screen, the upper left one is for media. And so I can use them blindly, at least the first menu level is not a problem to use it blindly. You can learn this. You never have the chance to learn blind use, to use without visual feedback loops, with a touchscreen. You always need to look where is my finger and where do I need to press. 
and from I, I mean I'm preaching this since 20 years but um, I'm supported these days by a study Volvo did the Swedish car maker Volvo they conducted a study and found out hey the, these old button uh, dashboards without any glass on it they're the fastest and safest to use and, and Volkswagen is a very fresh message it's about a week old uh, Volkswagen decided to put uh, haptic devices back onto their steering wheels and not some touch devices or some, some touchpad style devices without haptic feedback. So these, these two car companies, they realized haptic feedback has a high value because it leads to a reduction in visual distraction. And yeah, with, with smart concepts, uh, with the automotive-specific HMIs, you can reach an overall reduction in visual, manual, and cognitive distraction. But you need to have specific solutions again, and I said this at least twice or three times in this podcast. It's not a good idea to transfer a smartphone app and not a good idea to transfer a, a smartphone touchscreen into a car on a one-to-one basis. Well, the third aspect is a little different. Um, that is all the personal and social aspects that we have with cars in general and with automotive HMIs specifically. specifically. Cars are everywhere. They're omnipresent. They're ubiquitous. They determine our everyday life. So if I look out of my window here while I record this podcast episode i see cars standing there and it will be probably the same for you if you look out of your window there are cars they are driving most of them are parking somewhere and yeah so they they occupy a lot of our life they occupy a lot of our environment they eat up a lot of space in our cities in our rural areas so we keep a lot of infrastructure for cars and life as, as life as we lead it uh, is very hard to imagine without a car for most of us. A few of us, of course, they can live without it. But the vast majority um, will have difficulties without a car. And this leads to the fact that more or less everyone is allowed to drive a car. Young ones, old ones, experienced persons, inexperienced persons, tall persons smaller persons, professors, workers, even many physically handicapped people are allowed to drive. And it, I mean, it's, it raises their quality of life if, if they can drive. And, and they're allowed to drive if they make the correct driving license. And we have different people from, from uh, different cultures and from different countries. And basically everyone is driving. Everyone has the possible chance to drive. Opposed to, for example, pilots, aircraft pilots. They are always a very good example of the opposite of the group of car drivers. I mean, pilots are highly selected. They are extremely well trained. And they have to return to the flight simulator, I think, three or four times a year to make additional educations, to run through tests. So they have to have health tests on a regular basis. So they are a totally different group of humans opposed to car drivers. And so 
HMIs, human machine interfaces, for pilots can look totally different than those for car drivers. And if you go to a hospital, doctors and nurses, it's pretty much the same. They're educated. It's their job to do this. They, they get training on specific new devices uh, they get there. And so you can design them in a different way. They can be, for example, far more efficient, far more faster to use with more shortcuts, opposed to automotive HMIs where you just don't know who is sitting behind the steering wheel. Next point. For most humans, cars are the second most expensive thing they buy in their lives. The most expensive thing is usually your house and the second most uh, expensive thing is the car. I mean, some of you will own uh, yachts and, and uh, aircrafts, but the majority is not doing so. so. So the car is the second most expensive thing you have. And so they have a high financial value and they also have a very high emotional value. They have very high running costs, so they occupy not only your mind and your environment, but they also occupy your budgets. You have to pay for gas, you have to pay for repairs, for spare tires, whatever, replacement parts. If you have an older car, there's always something broken and, and you have to pay for this. So you have these pretty high costs and cars are not something that is bought just on the side or accidentally. You just don't... I mean, if I go out for shopping, I may return with three T-shirts instead of just one T-shirt. Uh, if I want to buy one pair of shoes, I see a second one is for the half price. Okay, I'm going to get it. You don't do this with a car. If you buy a car, it's a well, usually a very well-made decision. You make your mind up. What do you want? What do I need? What is the right brand for me? And then you try to find out the, the dealer or maybe you get a used one. You find a used car dealer where you get, get uh, the biggest uh, or the lowest price, yeah? so the biggest bargains, whatever. Uh, you do not do this. And cars have an extremely high level of reliability and availability. So if, if you get into your car, even it, if it is freezing cold or super hot outside, it usually starts it's very seldom that a car does not start i mean how often do you need to restart your smartphone or your pc because some stupid piece of software got stuck got hung up crashed hardly ever happens in cars and i mean more reliable and more available than cars are probably only medical devices and aircrafts those are devices that have even more higher safety level, but cars also are pretty pretty well on this one compared to PCs, smartphones, and so on. And to bring this down to a point, all these aspects I've just mentioned, you need a high-quality HMI to meet the expectations of users. You need a high technical quality, high reliability. You need a high usability ease of use on a very high level, easy, accessible. You need a positive user experience. I mean, you have paid a lot for your car and then you have some stupid, ugly device in it. You will not expect it, accept it. And aesthetics, it needs to look good. 
Again, you paid maybe $50,000, euros, pounds for a car, and then you have an ugly screen in it. That's not what you want. I mean, if you download a free app and it looks stupid or you cannot use it or it crashes, I mean, then you delete it from your smartphone and you get another one. This is not the case in cars. And again, this is the third reason why automotive HMIs are different from smartphone HMIs and PC HMIs and, and whatever other HMIs. So we have these three points here. Why should automotive HMIs be any different? We have, first of all, the primary, secondary, tertiary task paradigm. We have the safety relevance of automotive HMIs. And we have this specific role of cars for humans and societies. All right, let's move on to the second point of today's podcast. The loss of competence or the gain of competence. So are we getting dumber or smarter by using digital gadgets? And that was an example of one of my listeners. He said his daughter is not able to read analog clocks anymore. So she was standing on a, on a train station and there was an analog clock, a traditional one, a round one, with these two indicators. And she was not able to read this. Because she said, yeah, it's all digital. I can read digital clocks and I know what it means if it says 8.15. But um, yeah, I, I cannot read this one. And the question was, of course, uh, this is a loss of competence. No question. And isn't, isn't this any kind of strange? Because, I mean, if you want to know, I mean, you have, you have a date at 10 o'clock. You have a meeting at 10 o'clock. And uh, then uh, you have an analog clock. And it shows you oh, something between 10 and 15 minutes time until I have my meeting. This gives you a rough idea of the time. If it says 9.78, then you have to calculate, all right, 10 minus 9, uh, 40, 40, not 78, 48, 9.48, or it's 12 minutes remaining. Then, um, yeah, you have to do this additional step in calculation. So at the end of the day, this is definitely an example of loss in competence. And I mean, older people in general tend to say, oh, the young ones, they can't do all this anymore. Uh, it's uh, They lose competence. They're incompetent. And by the way, they're also lazy. And uh, we will, I mean, our society will not survive the next generation. And to let you know something, I mean, even the Asian Greeks said exactly that. And we are still there. So it is not true that all the young people are stupid, are dumb, are lazy, or whatever. And I'm in general, I'm not a cultural pessimist. I, I don't assume that society will perish anytime soon. So we, we as humans have always managed to bring out the good in us. And so I'm optimistic. And, but, but that's just a side issue here. And in general, um, I think with all these digital gadgets... We do not only lose competence, we also gain competence and we may gain focus, which is also some kind of gaining competence and using your time in a better way. Imagine, um, I mean, the term podcast did not exist at that time, but in, in the mid 80s, in the mid 80s, I would have had the idea, let's run a podcast 
which is called the Human Technology Podcast. And I will teach all the people all my knowledge that I have here. That would have meant that I record everything on tape, meaning I need to learn how to run a tape recorder. Then I need to edit it by hand. I need to cut it. I mean, if I have, if I cough in this uh, podcast, or if it's really, if I have a really bad uh, uh, expression here, if I, if I use the wrong words or whatever I do may do wrong, then I cut it here on a digital way. I just delete it on my laptop after recording it, and that all good. That is a totally different story. So if we record on tape, and if you then do it, and if you then. Um, yeah, add the intro and the outro and put everything together, then I would need to distribute this one with, for example, self-copied cassette tapes. I need to find out, okay, um, I have a master tape and then I need to make analog copies of that onto uh, um, other tapes. Today, it's fully digital. Uh, it's super easy. I have uh, most of the software I use is either free or it is very cheap. I It's easy to run. Of course, you need to work yourself a bit into it. But at the end of the day, it's it's not really complex to do this. So the thing I gain is that I can focus on the content. I can say, okay, I, I want to I wanna do the scripting. I think about what to talk about. But the recording process itself, I mean, if I record 30 minutes podcast time, it takes me 35 minutes. That's all. With a tape recorder, totally different stories. And today we have service providers. I mean, I have my beloved hoster, PottyJ. And I upload it there and they take care that it is distributed to all the platforms where you may listen to it. So that if, if you use Spotify or Apple Podcast, Deezer or Samsung Podcast, whatever, YouTube, wherever you listen to me, I, I didn't put it there. Yeah, It was some service provider, some digital service provider that puts it there. So there's a lot of loss in manual competence, but there is a gain in focus on content. Well, let's go back a little further in, in history. Hunting and collecting. Today, I hardly know any plants that I can eat. So if I go through the woods, yeah, of course, if I find a strawberry, a wild strawberry or wild blueberry, no problem. But many of these plants, I just don't know. Can I eat it or not? I cannot kill animals with a bow and an arrow and then disembowel them with a, with a knife. Yeah, no, I can't do this. So those People 10,000 years ago, they could do this. They were able, they had the competence to do this. But I can drive a car. I can use my smartphone. Or I can record this podcast with digital technology. Things they did not know. One more example. When I traveled as a kid 50 years ago with my parents onto vacation, my mom had a paper map on her lap. Yeah, so reading a map was a competence we had. And I can do this. I can still read a paper map and find out where am I and yeah, locate myself on the map and draw the right conclusions. But I find it far more comfortable to use a navigation system. It knows where I am. It knows all the streets around me. I do not have the wrong map with me. I mean, if I travel 
uh, to Italy and I have the map of France with me, that's a disaster. I just don't know it. But never, my navigation has entire Europe on a hard drive somewhere stored as a digital map. I can use it. And I get the right advice. Turn right at the next junction. Take the second exit at the next roundabout. I get this. I don't need to s transfer. So we lost the ability to read maps, but we gained, we learned how to deal with complex interactions, with complex menu structures, how to get in a point of interest in Barcelona that I want to travel to. Something my grandparents did not know how to do. They did not even know what a POI is, a point of interest is. Restaurant, a hotel, whatever. So, um, so we, we lose the ability to read paper maps, but we win the ability to work in complex structures. Another automotive example, the ignition point of uh, engines. Uh, if you have to find, you had to fine tune them in early engines. Yeah, so that was adjusted by hand in the 20s and 30s of the last century. Today we can focus on the actual core function, meaning keeping the car on the road safely, even in heavy traffic, even if we have demanding driving tasks. And in the future, we will have assistance systems up to highly automated or autonomous driving. And the question here is, is it actually desirable to keep everything on your side, to keep the competence of driving a car if there is a computer, if there is a rolling robot that can do it better than you. So, my belief is, and don't drill me down to the exact number, but I think for every skill we lose as humans, we gain a new one. Maybe it's not exactly one-to-one, -one, but probably, in average, under the bottom line, uh, for every skill we lose, we gain a new one due to digital devices. Third question that was given to me a few weeks ago. What is better in automotive HMIs, icons or fonts? And as I already said, there is no clear answer possible. There are advantages and disadvantages of both. The advantages of icons is they're simple. I mean, making an icon and seeing an icon and understanding an icon can be very simple. It can be very fast. A big example of icon, a big advantage of icons is they use up very little space on screens. They can look good if you design them well. And one thing is they can work internationally. So if you have, for example, um, the uh, WhatsApp logo or the Facebook logo, and if you use them as an icon, almost everyone on the planet understands what is behind this icon. Or if you have a little gear or if you have a little screwdriver icon, most people on the globe will understand this will probably be some tuning, some setting. Yeah? I mean, so those, those are the advantages of icons. The disadvantages of icons are they are not really clear. They're not always really clear. I mean, a gear could, be, could mean gearbox and not settings. They can be misunderstood. Saying, okay, I'm going to press this button because I believe this is the windscreen wiper, but it is not the windscreen wiper, but it opens the trunk. So this is all possible. 
Definitely. And uh, then very often you have cultural connotations to symbols and icons. I had uh, one client from Asia and uh, there is they wanted to use on the map as an indicator of religious buildings, whatever religion, whether it's Christian or Jewish or Hindi or Buddhist, they wanted to use uh, the swastika symbol, which looks a little bit like a Nazi symbol. And in Germany, if you would have that on a screen, although it is not exactly the same, but that would have caused enormous confusion. And nobody would have understand this, that this indicates that this specific symbol indicates a religious building on a digital map. So there, there are these cultural problems that you have. If, if you go to, for example, Islamic countries, um, there it is illegal to show limbs of humans. And if you have these typical sports symbols for, I don't know, soccer or for running, where you have these super drilled down to the very basics, humans running or, or having a football, even that is illegal in Islamic countries. So, yeah, you have these problems with icons. Then they need to be learned. As I said, uh, this little gear may indicate uh, settings in a car. I mean, you have to learn this. It's not natural. It could mean something totally different. And they can become outdated one day. I mean, still we still use the old telephone receiver icon on smartphones. But, I mean, hardly anyone makes phone calls with these old-style cable-bound uh, 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 telephone receivers. Most of us use these flat uh, rectangle objects with a glass on top, which is called a smartphone, to make a phone call. But we still use these, this icon, but I think this will cause quite some confusion, either today or at least in the, in the future. And it's pretty much the opposite for fonts. I mean, they have clear um, uh, advantages. They are clear. If there is a word saying navigation or settings then you know that is navigation or settings. They can be very detailed. They can say settings car, setting system, setting interior. Whatever, it's possible. And you can represent with words a lot of nuances. So you can use navigation or destination to show, okay, destination may be the more detailed menu point uh, opposed to, to navigation, which we may, may be a little more generic. Yeah, so you can do this. This is the clear advantage of written words on screen. The disadvantage is it usually requires more space. You need to have a certain font size in cars and you should not go to the minimum um, that uh, is given in, in, in the ISO standard, ISO 15008 for those that are interested. Go, go bigger than this one. And so you eat up quite a lot of space on a screen with the written text. You have, and this is a pretty much of a big problem, different text lengths in different languages. So English is a comparably snappy language. It's comparably small, uh, short. Uh, you have short words and you can put a lot of uh, information into a certain number of uh, letters. German and French are far longer. And Finnish is a disaster. 
I mean, super long words, even for the most simple expressions. And so you need to keep space. And if you then go to, to China, if you have Chinese fonts or Korean fonts, or I mean, they, they are almost like icons. I mean, they contain a lot of information on a very small space. And you have to handle this. And when when uh, I designed uh, when I designed HMIs, the, the language thing is always always an issue. It takes us enormous amounts of time to find the right expressions, to structure it. How big are text fields? And of course, an icon is an icon. It always eats up the same amount of space, whether you show it in a Chinese car, in a Japanese car, in a Finnish car, or in German car. And then a more technical point, these fonts from a technical, the digital fonts have to be created. They have to be made available. You need to pay licenses for them. Um, I mean, all this uh, is, is a disadvantage of using fonts in cars. To summarize that, there is no simple solution for this. There is no one single statement possible. It depends on the context. So the typical, uh, if you ask an HMI designer, which is the best solution, 90% of the time you get the answer, it depends. And this applies here as well. Probably, in most cases, the best solution is somewhere in the middle. It's not neither a norm, uh, it's not one or the other. It's somewhere in the middle, some things with icons, some things in text. And very often, this is the solution we have in, in many HMIs, automotive and non-automotive. There's an icon in it to get the advantages of the icon, the quick grasp, the identification you have there. And then there is a text below it. And that gives the clear and detailed information of what this icon really means. And this is one of the solutions, one of the compromises. At the end of the day, if you have a question like this, ask HMI experts. They know how to handle this. And if you don't know one by yourself, give me a call, send me a mail, and we can talk about these things. I can give you my thoughts on where your personal optimum for your specific device is. All right, let's summarize today's episode. This was like a little bit like a, like a potpourri, like a Q&A, a mixed kind of episode with different aspects I've discussed. The first one is HMI in cars should be different than those on smartphones. Even though it's tempting to just copy the apps from a smartphone into a car. Second one is... Technology brings both competence loss, loss on competence, and gain in competence. And there are good reasons for icons in HMIs, and also there are very good reasons for fonts in automotive HMIs. Compromise probably somewhere in the middle. That's it for today. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope you were able to take something with you and do something for yourself that will be forever. For an unknown exchange, you will find me on LinkedIn and on my websites, peter-rusker.com and beyond-hmi.de. Write me an email on the podcast at 
beyond-hmi.de. Tune in next time. Take care and stay healthy.